You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today is a special day. Today we are continuing our Ephesians series. Uh, but today, we, we're, I'm not teaching today. Today we're, we're going to hear from our very own Alan Grover. Uh, if you don't know Alan, if you haven't met Alan yet, you need to meet this guy. He's awesome. Uh, him and his family have been a blessing to Renovation Church since the very first day. Uh, they, they jumped in as we were actually renovating this building. And so uh, more than just uh, a doctorate in the New Testament that he has, uh, he loves the, the body of Christ. He loves God's word. Uh, phenomenal communicator and teacher. And so, church, will you help me welcome to the stage today Alan Grover as he comes to teach the word? Love you, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much. So good to see you all. And I think we like doubled our size. So, the word must not have gotten out that I was speaking. That's all I can say. Uh, thank you so much. And um, I just want to jump right in. Uh, just thrilled to be, be here. And just thank you. Thank you. I just. Doing this is like seeing the people behind the scenes, which, y'all, I hope I do better with the slides today, this time, but um, it's just, it's a lot to make this happen, so thank you so much for everything that you do. In Rooted, uh, the, the, the small discipleship group that many of us have done, many of us are doing, we talk a lot about sharing our story. Uh, so I'd like to share a part of our story uh, with you. Here's my family, uh, and... Uh, I think we got a, a, a picture of, of, we have some puppies. Yeah, we got some puppies. Uh, so this is, we actually have puppies currently, uh, but these are, this is a picture from a couple of, of years ago uh, that uh, uh, we moved to Traveler's Rest about six years ago. This is where this picture was taken. And um, uh, so this is part of my journey uh, that um, I'd like to share the story of how God started to help me realize, kind of realize my purpose. Realize not in like know it, but start taking steps toward it. So um, I, we, were, we were at a church in Greenville, and I felt in response to the preaching that I needed to start becoming more involved. So we did that. And as we did, though, it's like we realized philosophically we weren't on the same page. And so God used that to move us to Grace Church at that point, which was where I needed to learn some things. So we had been working, my wife and I had been working through some things in our marriage, and I had this very strong idea that she had a lot of things that needed to be changed. So going to to re-engage at Grace Church, I realized, wait, I have some things to work on. And so as I re-engage, I realized that, okay, is actually my pride, my self-righteousness that is causing some anger, right? Something I need to work on. Um, so I, I read the book, Unoffendable, very, very much recommended if you have a chance to read that. Um, I actually did some counseling, and uh, so God used that. And, and I can say, well, that's not very fun to work through those things. You're right, it's not. But I can say, it's a whole lot more fun to lead your family when they know that you're actually real, when you know you're not, they're, you're not just shouting at them, that you're leading them with love and kindness. And so God, be, God, God worked in my life through that. And then uh, a couple of years later, uh, God led us here to Renovation uh, Church. And 
One of the things I love about being here is that we invite the voice of the Holy Spirit, right? We, we treasure God's word as our supreme authority and the, the, the book that we live by. We value it very much, but also it's like we want the presence of God here, right? We want to hear from God. And one particular way that happened for me was that a, a friend got together with me. He said, hey, let's get together. And he's like, Alan, I don't know if this is what God wants me to tell you, but I think it is. He's like, as long as I've known you, you've been talking about missions. So I think you need to take some steps towards missions. And so um, that all started, it spun very quickly into a plan that I was going to a one-week trip to Liberia with Training Leaders International. God raised uh, support like that. Uh, renovation was very generous in, in supporting us, and it was awesome. And it's one of the reason I share that is that in talking with different people, it's, that seems to be one aspect of my story that resonates is that how do you find God's purpose for your life? Like, how do you know that what you're doing really matters, that you're doing what God wants you to do, right? And so from the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two, I'd like to look at that. How do you connect with God's purpose for your life? Another way that you could say it is, is, is your, the word destiny can be thrown around a lot. What do you mean by destiny? Well, we'll talk a little bit about that. But God has a call on each person's life, and knowing that, tapping into that, helps you truly understand what your destiny is, your call. The word destiny, honestly, is related to another word, predestination, which in the book of Ephesians, we see that God has predestined us to certain things, to love, to good works. And as I talked with Michelle, uh, she uh, reminded me that the Greek word for handiwork in Ephesians 2.10 is related to the English word poem. So Ephesians 2.10 says we are his handiwork, or uh, that the Greek word there is poema or poem. We are God's poem. We're something he's working on, he's fashioning to make into something, something beautiful, hopefully, something that is useful, something that is worthwhile, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, what God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're going to take this verse as our theme and focus on how we can find our purpose, tap into our destiny, how we can be God's poem. Uh, so I just have really three main points, and the first one is to realize the ugliness of the world and your own sin is just the backdrop for God's grace. Realize the ugliness of the world and your own sin is just, just the backdrop for God's grace. And if you would, please open up your Bibles to Ephesians 2 or turn into your device, whatever's easiest. And I'm going to say, circle a word. I know you don't have a pencil right there in front of you probably. But mentally, take note of this, this word because I want you to, I'm getting into this and I'm like, I am so excited about what I see here. And I just want you to hopefully feel some, see some of that, the, the things that I'm seeing, feel some of those same things. And hopefully God will use it. Uh, so verses one through three say, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, 
gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So if you have a pencil, I want you to circle these words, transgressions and sins. Uh, And I think this is a very big theological idea that we're dead, right? Uh, Ephesians 2, we're, we're, we're dead. We can't save ourselves. The whole idea is that, I mean, how can a dead person do anything? Uh, but what, I, what struck me as I was reading this is it's not just any, some deadness. It's very, it's very much connected to, to, to sin. And so that's the first, I've got four kind of subpoints under this first main point about just realizing this ugliness is, 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 is part of the picture. It's part of what God's doing. Uh, first of all is whatever is happening here is a spiritual thing connected to rescuing you and me from sin. All right, so those, those words, transgression, sins, um, how we miss the mark. Um, it's not just any deadness. It's like sin is the problem. The biggest problem is not how you are being treated at work. Biggest problem is not how bad your spouse is treating you, how bad the economy is, racial injustice, violence in the Middle East, we can go on and on, right? There's a lot of messed up stuff. But look at what Paul says the biggest problem is. You're dead in transgressions and sins. My biggest problem and yours is our sin. Before you were saved, you had no ability to live a life pleasing to God because you had no spiritual life. And you're still dead if you haven't come to know Christ. So here's, here's the thing that's going on is it's, okay, yeah, we see all this, all this conflict, all these problems. Hey, why can't we fix this? We, we tend to get worked up about it, right? Post on social media about it. But again, let's look a little bit deeper. Um, it's, it's about spiritual deadness and it's about life change. That, that life change that you experience through Jesus Christ um, I think Paul's kind of like previewing it here in these verses. So um, that's the second subpoint here is it's, it's about life change. Transformation from sinful habits and the dominion of the wicked one into a life worthy of the calling you have received. So if you mentally circle a couple of more words up there, the words I want you to circle are used to live and lived. Right, so you see how um, Ephesians 1 through 3 is really focused on, it's a lot of majestic ideas. Matt started us out on that. Remember the, the, the video he showed about the, the, the artwork with the book of Ephesians? It's all about what God, the story that God is creating, how, how he's calling us to himself, and then how we live it out. So we're, we're all here on this, this part of this majestic, beautiful work that God is doing it's, it's awesome. He's creating the church. Uh, he's predestined us to salvation, to eternal life, and to, to life with him. But he's kind of given his clues here that it's for a purpose. It's so you can learn to live in a manner worthy of your calling. Paul is prepping us that way. It should affect our lives. Now that we're the objects of his grace we should no longer have the same lifestyle or follow the same ways. 
so this, uh, this text that we're really focusing on, so we're, we're, we're backing up to verses one through three, but again, Ephesians 2, eight through 10, is by grace that you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Uh, so I was talking with a, a, a friend of mine, a coworker uh, years ago, and uh, a discussion about faith came up and she was like, well, so we started talking and she's like, oh, and she's, she's from a Catholic background. She's like, so you don't mean that it doesn't matter what you do. I just thought the way y'all believed, it was like, you just believe and then it doesn't really matter what you do. It kind of seems like that, right? Um, but obviously, that's, Paul's saying that's not what it was. But the point is, you had a conversation or a lifestyle, a way you used to live back here. Um, but now we're going to get to, in verses, uh, the next few verses, Christ has saved you from that. He's given you new life. He's changed you. So it's about life transformation. And if, it's, if that life transformation is not there, maybe you don't have the real deal. Uh, so it should affect our lives. But I want us to see next that you've got negative peer pressure supercharged by Satan himself. You're going against the flow. Do you see that in the text? Um, the, the, the words I kind of like you to note to circle are the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All right, so um, I'm sorry, I kind of got ahead of ourselves a little bit on the screen there, but um, the spirit who's now at work, Satan himself is energizing those who have not yet come to faith. That's where we all used to be, right? That's the whole point, that you used to walk the same way. Uh, you used to be energized. You walk in the same way as the world, energized by Satan himself. Your, your own flesh wants to take you a certain degree. So when you get saved, you're going against that flow. You're not only pushing against your own sinful desires, and the course of the world, but also Satan himself is standing against you. Uh, so it's not easy. It's not like, it's, it's simple to understand, but it's not necessarily easy to do. The, uh, we sing the song, the reign of darkness how it now has ended in the kingdom of light. Forever under your dominion, you're the kingdom of my life. Remember that, remember that one? You reign above it all. You reign above it all over the universe and over every heart. There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all. If we actually mean that, our life is gonna change in very specific ways. Our morality changes. Who we submit to changes. Our thoughts change. Our desires change. And finally, circle all of us uh, at the beginning of verse three. There's a commonality to our, our plight. So all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. You think you're not good enough to come to church. I mean, that, that idea is out there a lot, right? Maybe you've had those thoughts. I remember talking, when I was uh, in seminary, uh, I was going to a Christian school, and uh, mentioned which school it was to one of my coworkers. And she's like, oh, I wouldn't step foot on that campus. I'd be burned up right away. And it's like, number one, we're thinking, okay, are we given this impression that we're better than other people because we go to a Christmas? There's so many thoughts and emotions if someone says something like that. But I wanna, I wanna say, 
that's, no, that's, that's not what it is. We're not coming to a specific church because we're good people. We're not coming to a Christian school even because we're so, so awesome. We're coming because God has done a work in our lives. He's changed us. He's given us a new heart. He's forgiven us. And we want to share that with others. So we want to be inviting as in church. We want to say God's work is open. It's open to everyone. His love is open to everyone. We're we're all a mess, right? So um, let's be open about that and let's be excited about God fixing us. Well, let's, let's do go on to those next few verses. Um, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So now, I'd like you to circle the two best words in the whole Bible, I think. And they're separated in our text. Do you see it up there? Um, because of his great love for us, actually, uh, it kind of separates it. But God, in the Greek text, they're together there. But God, so you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were following the course of the world. Satan was energizing what you were doing. All of this all of this mess that we're in, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, is kind of like, it's kind of like you've got uh, an artist who just throws paints across the dark background. And obviously, it takes time, it takes effort. But when he's done, it's a beautiful image. It's a beautiful picture. And that's what God wants us to see is that all of this nastiness that we're dealing with in the world, the culture, everything that we're upset about, everything in our own lives, that is just the backdrop to his amazing love and grace. God is painting a beautiful work of of art. Here's uh, a work of art that's important to to us. Um, So when I moved to Greenville, 2007, I was working for a place that sold uh, Christian products, uh, books and other things. I sold books, but this was also represented uh, to Christian bookstores. And uh, so I had the privilege of meeting the artist who drew this. His name is Ron DeCiani. Uh, This one is called Lord Teach Us to Pray. And um, the reason it's important to us is because we want to be the kind of parents who pray for our kids. Uh, You can see the fatigue uh, that she has. Uh, You can see the tenderness, the love, and it's all surrounded by the gospel, right? You can sense, you know, something's happening here. Uh, So Ron DeCiani wrote another drew another painting. It's called Spiritual Warfare. And it's the, the picture of a father kneeling at his son's bedside praying. And in the, the background, I see in the window, uh, an angel standing like this with his hands holding back the demons, holding back the forces of darkness. And in the, the uh, process of getting to, to know Ron and his son, Grant Deciani, they explain, that's a, that's a real life event. That really happens. 
Um, and the, the father in that picture is Ron himself, the artist, uh, kneeling by his son who had a terminal illness, uh, but God saved him. And now here he is, and they're both uh, basically in full-time ministry together, getting out the word through art. He has another painting called In the Wilderness, where it's just a picture of Jesus uh, during his temptation in the wilderness with uh, just a huge black cloud o- around him. And um, he told us, shared a story with, uh, with that one that uh, there was a young man who just was racked with guilt and pain and uh, anxiety more, uh, depression, and he felt like nobody understood him. in and out of counselors' offices. And uh, finally, he came to a new counselor. And that picture in the wilderness was was on the wall behind him. And he looked at it and he said, he understands what I'm going through. That man understands it. You know, it could be that you understand that kind of anxiety, that kind of turmoil pictured by the dark cloud. Or it could be, you, you can understand the, the parent praying by the bedside of his, his son or daughter. And it might be a physical thing. It might be a spiritual thing. But God is doing a beautiful work of art. Um, there's a lot wrong in the world. And if you have your eyes opened, you, again, you realize there's a lot more wrong in my own heart. But the Spirit is calling for you and I to understand it's just the backdrop for something greater. And this is, how, this is part of how we understand our purpose, just realizing, yeah, you're messed up. Yes, the world's messed up, but God is doing something. He's, what he's doing in the church and in your life individually is building something. He's building a temple. He's making a painting. He's doing something very beautiful. So uh, first of all, uh, we just need to realize that uh, all, all that mess is just the backdrop to what he's doing. Secondly, prioritize faith and open yourself up to the supernatural. All right, so uh, here's where we, we get to kind of the heart of the text. And, and I want to take a to take kind of a, a pause and say, okay, we saw this first image, right? The image of you were dead in, 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 in trespasses and sins and God raised you up. So the image of death to life, right? In verses 11 through 22, which we won't spend as much time with, but we're gonna get to, the image is that of a foreigner, an outsider, somebody who doesn't feel like they fit in, has now become a family member. And you can see that's one of the beautiful things as I was, I was reading this week, um, last few weeks, is just that these two images are saying the same thing. Um, but... God is doing something here, and right in the middle is just like this pure literary gold, right? It's almost like an aside, almost like an afterthought, and yet it's crucial to what Paul is saying. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, his poem, his craftsmanship, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
And I want to take a pause a little bit with that word again. The Greek word poiema comes from poieo, which means to do or to make. So poiema, again, we get the, the English word poem from that, is something that's made, something that's done, something that's created, something God worked on, right? Um, and again, these verses are famous because they're a very important text in clarifying how we are saved is by grace, it's unmerited favor, um, not by works, it, it, through faith alone. If you're, if you're coming from another religious tradition, that might be confusing, as if we're saying that your works don't matter, right? How can that be fair? How can somebody just pray a prayer and get to heaven? Um, but the best response is, it's not about fairness, you're exactly right. It's not fair for sinners uh, to, to get to heaven just by doing nothing. But that's the gospel. That's the truth that Jesus died for our sins so that we could have eternal life. But it doesn't stop there. Look at what the text says. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Your good works flow out of a genuine relationship with God because he changes your heart. A Facebook friend recently posted this. Every religion in the world revolves around the word do. Biblical Christianity revolves around the word done. All of us are saved by grace through faith. I was a bad person whom Jesus called good. The, and therefore, the glory goes to him because he rescued me through faith. And even that faith is a gift from him. Do you see that in the text? Um, it says, by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. Well, best we can tell, that's talking about the faith. So even the faith that you have didn't come from you. So where did it come from? God put it there. So when we get to heaven, it's not gonna be because, oh yeah, I made a smart decision. It's because you chose me before the foundation of the world. You put this in my heart. You drew me. You had a plan for my life. You even made me say yes. That's beautiful. Uh, but again, that it's for a purpose. It's that he's creating you for good works. Uh, I, I like the song, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. Oh, how patient he must be. He's still working on me. This is your identity, not a particular gender or race or even the church you go to, not a romantic relationship, not even a career. You, you are one who's been resurrected in Christ. You've been given you new life. You are his. You belong to him. So in World War II, um, there were, paratroopers were a brand new phenomenon. So uh, planes had just been invented uh, you know, fairly recently in World War I. So there were a few planes involved, not a huge deal. But uh, come to World War II, and several countries realized, hey, if we're going to win the war, we're going to have to figure out this airplane thing. 
So the 101st Airborne Division in 1942 uh, became, or excuse me, the 101st Division of the Army in 1942 became the 101st Airborne Division. Uh, but there was no history for this group, right? It was a brand new thing. A call went out to every enlisted man, uh, woman, every enlisted person to, to volunteer. And these were gonna be the elite fighters who would go into the hardest parts of the battle, right? Basically, well, it's a paratrooper. You're dropping uh, a soldier behind, from an airplane behind enemy lines so they could go work their magic, right? Uh, very dangerous. Soldiers knew going into it, it was very high risk. They were offered a, um, a bonus, so it was $50 a month, which doesn't sound like much, but uh, I looked it up, that would, that would double their pay. So uh, it was a, it was a, a rich uh, um, you know, incentive, but it's kind of like you go and, yeah, you double your pay, but you very likely might not come back from this, from this uh, mission. But they responded to it. And the training they did with is, is intense. They talked about uh, how these soldiers, uh, the very first day they, they came to training, they had to run three and a half miles up a hill uh, and back down without stopping. 18% of them got cut right there. But General uh, Lee, I believe his name is, um, gave a very impressive speech uh, when, when this division was created. And uh, during the speech, I like this quote. He says, the 101st has no history, but it has a rendezvous with destiny. It's like, we don't know where we, we, we I mean, we're just brand new, right? But we're going somewhere. We have a mission. And again, people signed up knowing they would give their lives to it because there was a reason. And sure enough, uh, they were needed uh, on D-Day uh, during the invasion of Normandy and they were dropped behind enemy lines. A very, very important part of uh, the United States coming onto French territory. They were later needed in Holland. Uh, and then finally, when Hitler wanted to do one final push to try to break up the Allies and make something happen during the Battle of the Bulge, surprise attack, middle of winter, uh, it was freezing cold. The Allies actually had no idea it was coming. Um, they called the 101st Airborne Division they, these men came in, they helped hold a city that was very key to victory, and the rest is history, right? So, again, we're asking, what is, what is my destiny? Am I willing to say yes to what God is doing? And that's what, that's what I believe the scripture is saying. This is your identity, uh, is that you are God's handy, handiwork, his craftsmanship, his poem. Um, and we are going to play a little game. So I'm gonna play a couple lyrics of a song and your job is to tell me who the artist is uh, and um, the name of the song, if you can, all right? She wears high heels, I wear sneakers, she's
And the artist is? Okay. I bet that's the first time you've heard a Taylor Swift song in church. All right. And anybody catch the name of the song? You belong with me. All right. So, uh, so why do we like this? I mean, it's been around for a while. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying I'm a Taylor Swift fan, but I, I do like the song. Um, why, why do we like the song? Um, so you got this, uh, the girl ends up with the guy, right? Uh, she's, uh, you know, she's not the mean, flashy girl uh, who definitely doesn't deserve the guy. She's the sweet, pretty one uh, who uh, actually cares about him. And can't you see, I've been here all along. You belong with me. Um, and you always say yay, and that's awesome, right? All right. But what I want us to see is that why do we like that story? There's something inside of us that says, yeah, that's pretty awesome, actually. Like, I want to belong. I want to be known. I want to be loved. I want to be cared about. Well, let me ask this. What happens when that relationship breaks up? Isn't there something inside of us, inside of our hearts that says, we want something more? We want something greater? There's a deeper connection. There's a connection with God who actually cares about us selflessly, eternally, fully, who will forgive us of our sins, who will empower us to live new lives in Christ Jesus, who will give us a home with him forever. Is there anything inside of you that says, yes, that's what I want? Um, I kind of think he's, he's sitting there, they're saying, hey, that's what, can't you see? What you've been looking for all the time, it's been here all along. You belong with me. This is your identity. You weren't made for nothingness. You weren't made to feel like an idiot. You weren't made to do a job that you hate every single day of your life. You were made to live with God forever. You were made to live with purpose. You weren't made to, live, to look down on others with self-righteous pride. If you're under the sound of my voice right now, God is calling you to a relationship with himself. God is calling you to understand your identity as his child. Your identity as someone that he's brought to life from the dead. I hope you're hearing the call, are you? If you have heard the call, you've been made alive with Christ. You've been forgiven of all your sins. You've been made a family member. You've been made a part of the church. You are part of God's temple. And I hope we get time to talk about it a little bit. But God is building this very beautiful thing. Again, we got three chapters in Ephesians. They're talking about this majestic work that God is doing. And he's saying, not only were you not, are you not an outsider anymore, you've been made an insider, and you've been made a very part of the shrine of God, where God lives. That's what you are. So third and finally, I want us to look at uh, this third way to connect with your purpose, to understand your identity, to know your destiny is to know that you were made to fit in. Uh, and so uh, we, we do have uh, so, some new scripture here, uh, verses 13. Uh, this is my train of thought a little bit here. 
11 through 13. Thank you. Keep me all on track. Verses 11 through 13. Uh, so, so then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by the, or the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away were brought near by the blood of Christ. So uh, when, my, uh, when my cousins and I were growing up, I remember back in the day before we had cell phones, uh, my uncle and aunt had a video recorder. So we had to get together and they recorded us. And then we got to watch our video. And I still remember watching that video and I was like, I don't think I looked like that. I don't think I sounded like that. And I kind of cringed a little bit. <laughs> I was like, I don't really feel like I fit in. There's something within each of us that says we want to fit in, right? Uh, we, and and God, uh, Paul is saying to these Ephesian believers, he's saying, you were Gentiles. You are, so what are Gentiles? Were the, basically any member, anybody that was not a member of the nation of Israel was a Gentile, right? So, and they particularly, they tended to uh, be hostile to the people of God. They're often the different nations were at war. And uh, so he said, you were Gentiles, but now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. I want you to mentally circle two more words in these verses. And look at that in verse 13. Do you see those two words again? You see our two words? But now in Christ Jesus, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we've been, we've been talking about the one image that Paul used to communicate the Ephesians' identity. But now this new image is that of foreigners. Not only of foreigners, but the most outsiders you could possibly imagine. Before Christ, Israel was the chosen people of God. The Gentiles were all the nations that were not Israel, typically hostile to the one true God and thus pagans. They didn't have that special intimate sign that God gave to Abraham and his descendants and were often derisively called the uncircumcised. And Paul says, you used to be that way. But what happened? I was, a, uh, you know, I think I shared the story. Now I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. Did I talk about the, the coworker who talked about not going, uh, um, uh, wouldn't want to step foot on that, that school? Okay, I did. All right, thank you. Uh, so that's, that's where it's like, I am not, I'm not special because of what I've done. I'm special because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is something that's powerful enough to get down inside of me and take away all my guilt. The blood of Jesus is something that's powerful enough to actually change me, to give me forgiveness forever. It's actually something powerful enough to give me unity. So this passage is actually amazingly prescient for what's going on right now in the Middle East, right? So we have Jews, and, uh, Jews getting killed, Arabs getting killed, terrible atrocities. And uh, we're shaken up by it, right? 
And that there's, there's very little hope of achieving unity with a peace treaty right now, right? I mean, our hearts grieve because of this. But let's look at something else. Uh, even in our own city, we're like, we have all this division. We need unity. So we have Unity Park, right? But unfortunately, we can't get unity by saying we want to have it. We can't get unity by putting up the letters in our park. We can't get unity by saying, hey, let's get together and work things out. What's the only thing that's powerful enough to actually give us unity? Uh, have you seen the movie, uh, uh, the movies Facing the Giants or Fireproof, Courageous? Anybody seen any of those? Okay, awesome. A lot of us have. Uh, so one scene in Fireproof is of uh, two of the main characters. So Michael is a, uh, a believer uh, who's a fireman. And then you have Caleb, who is uh, also a fireman, but he's, he's not really into the faith thing. So the whole story revolves around that uh, Caleb's marriage is falling apart. And he blames it on his wife. But Michael realizes, you know, I think it's actually your issues, Caleb. <laughs> Tries to work with him on it. But what he doesn't know is behind the scenes that Caleb's dad is get challenging him with the love dare. And he's working with him and he's, he's challenging him. He's praying for him. And there, I love the scene where in front of a literal cross, Caleb bows his head and confesses Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He comes to a relationship with God through the cross. And so he shows up, the scene I'm thinking of, he shows up at work uh, and tells, just kind of casually mentions it to, to Michael. Hey, uh, yeah, you know that whole faith thing you were talking about? He's like, I'm in. And Michael's like, well, what do you mean you're in? He's like, I'm. He's like, are you really in? He's like, can't believe what's going on. But once he realizes that Caleb really means it, he says something really kind of awkward and weird. He's like, oh yeah, man, you're now, you're my brother. You're my brother from a different mother because we have the same father. And, and Caleb's just kind of standing there looking at him. He's like, what in the world? He's like, no, I'll explain later. But honestly, that's the kind of unity that we have is that when we come to, the, come to God through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, he makes us brothers and sisters. He breaks down barriers. Yeah, we have a lot of different interests and desires, but he gives us unity. Uh, verses 19 through 22, quickly, and I don't think I have them on the screen. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The temple provided the only access to God. If you were the high priest, you could only enter the holy place once a year and only with blood for yourself and the rest of the people. If you weren't the high priest, you couldn't enter at all. Um, the, holy place, the holiest. If you weren't a priest, you couldn't get in the holy place. If you weren't a Jewish man, you couldn't enter the temple very far. If you weren't a Jew, you couldn't enter the, enter the temple at all. You have all of this restriction. And God, is, and God, was, God had implemented that, and yet he was trying to show, 
not only, number one, access was special, but then two, with the coming of Christ, as Matt mentioned last week, when the temple was torn in two, we all have access through the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus, to God himself. And so the last point is, all right, let's bring our lives into line with our destiny. If this is our destiny, if we've called to be family members, not foreigners, if we can call from death to life, what's, what are our lives gonna look like after that? How, are we gonna be submissive to God's spirit? Are we gonna be looking for his voice? And maybe for you, you haven't started that journey and you can just start asking some questions. Please ask those questions. It's a journey worth taking. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your words are true. Uh, Lord, we praise you that you're powerful enough to work through the foolishness of preaching. Uh, Lord, and we just praise you um, uh, for the work that you've done through Jesus Christ. We ask that you would help us to better understand our calling through the blood, through what Jesus has done for us, and live in line with it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Please come up and thank you so much for coming. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.